This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Stuart Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. So uh, today we start in a brand new series. Uh, we're going to go verse by verse through Colossians. And uh, usually for the first day of a new series, I do a who, what, where, when, why, uh, and then do the first couple of verses. So we'll do that today. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Colossians. Uh, General Electric Power Company, if it helps you, it helped me for a very long time. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, G-E-P-C, General Electric Power Company. Um, had to learn it somehow, right? That worked for me. So open up to Colossians, if you will. If you've got a handout, there's a couple things on the table today. One is in addition to what I normally put on the table. At everybody's table, there's one copy of the teacher notes. Uh, and just to make you aware, all the information that I teach from is available at stewartheights.org slash Sunday School. Uh, so the student handouts, the teaching notes, all those are available there. Uh, so if you miss any blanks, then the blanks are in the middle of the table. The answers are all there. So first blank up uh, is who wrote Colossians? So who wrote Colossians? Anybody know? Paul wrote Colossians, yes. And there is virtual... Uh, 100% agreement on this since the first word in the book is Paul. So that's kind of the way uh, New Testament letters, epistles started. You started with who you were, and then you got to some greeting, and then you said who you were writing to. So uh, Paul wrote the epistle to the Colossians. Uh, and then what is Colossians about? And I, I have spent a lot of time the last several weeks uh, listening to and thinking about the way in which I present information and I have come to a conclusion that I spend more time talking about the text than I do actually reading the text. Morning, we're going to read Colossians, like the whole thing. And it's a neat way to do things. And, and one of the things that prompted me to do this, Jessica, was your post on Facebook several weeks ago, I think it was. Uh, I know, right? Now you're all nervous about Facebook posts. Uh, I think you posted either a 60 or 90 day Bible reading plan. 90 day plan? Yeah. Uh, I did one of those one time, and it was remarkable how much more I got out of the scripture reading it in a much condensed time period. Because you see the connections. You don't have to wait six months to see that this book is tied to this book. It's just a few days you see the connections. So um, I've read Colossians uh, every day for a while now, and uh, to me, it helps see the whole thing. So if you've got your Bibles, Colossians chapter 1. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you, as it is also in the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also meant among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, 
and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which would preach to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor, striving according to his working, which works in, my, in me mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict for I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off of the body of the, flesh of the, of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him, through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. 
Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the, of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are able to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Jew, Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing also that you have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in change, chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. 
Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus in the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And I say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you. Amen. I love that letter. It is a great little letter. It is an encouraging letter. But to me, in Colossians, here's your next blank, Paul exalts what? Christ. It is Christ above all. It is Christ above creation. It is Christ above any other reconciliation method with God. It is Christ above the church. It is Christ above philosophy. It is Christ above the law. It is Christ above legalism. It is Christ above carnality. It is Christ above divisions. It is Christ above the Christian's character, above the Christian's behavior at home. Don't y'all panic. Above the Christian's testimony, above Christian friendship, and above, Christian, uh, and above individual congregations. It is Christ above all. It is almost as if Paul makes this really long list of things, and he says, you know what? Ain't nobody got time for that. He makes a list of all these things that he just doesn't have time for. That, you know what? This is not as valuable as Christ. Lift Christ up. See where he is in comparison to all things. You like this shirt? I love this shirt. That's right. I got this shirt made. I got to order this shirt for myself and one for Mark Wilson. Thank you, Jules. Uh, for the uh, Steps to Hope build that we did. Because... When you build a house in nine days, there are a lot of things that come up that can distract you. And I wanted to be reminded every time my head did this that I ain't got time for that. We're building the house. That's the goal. That's the purpose. So sitting in that parking lot for days and days and days, I had plenty of time to read over Colossians a whole lot. And what kept coming to my mind was that Paul just doesn't have time for any of this other stuff. He's only got time to lift up Jesus. And it was a beautiful thing. So I thought I'd wear my ain't nobody got time for that shirt today. So, where does Colossians take place? Anybody know? Colossae, yes. And it's spelled like 65 different ways. Um, so, I just used the one with just the E on the end. But if, you've, if you came in a little bit late, there's a teacher version of the notes in the middle of the table. And there are actually three different maps on the teacher version. So, if you'll open that one up and flip to it, I want to show you a little bit more uh, about where we are in the world. So that first map uh, in the teacher notes, uh, the one where it says areas reach quickly with the good news, those are kind of the states or the region names. So it's the, the general areas. So you'll hear, you'll hear about a city, and it'll be in a location, and it'll be in a larger location. So Asia Minor is this big chunk of space there where, where you see Asia and Galatia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Sicilia and uh, Cappadocia and I can't pronounce the B one, uh, Pontus. So that whole area there. But uh, Colossae is in that Phrygia area. So if you look at that second map and kind of come down a little bit further, 
If you look where in between 2 and 3 on the grid and E and F on the grid, you see Colossae is that tiny little black dot. The little dot means it was a little city. The open circle where Laodicea and Philadelphia and Sardis and Thyatira and Pergamum, those are larger cities. Colossae is actually the smallest city that anybody wrote to in the New Testament. And it was so small, in fact, that a lot of first century scholars wonder, why in the world would you take the time to write a letter to them? So you, you, you kind of got to keep that in, your, in the back of your head because a couple hundred years before that, Colossae was a big city. It was a really, this has got really awkward, so I'm just going to acknowledge it. Do you want me to sit with you? Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, so Colossae was a really, really big city several hundred years before. <laughs> I love you guys. You're awesome. But, but at this point, the trade route had changed. So, so flip over to that next, that third uh, map, the one where it's got the blowout of Colossae. Uh, and I want you to see how close it was to Laodicea and to Heropolis. Basically what happened, the, the road shifted. There was a bit of a bypass that was built around Colossae, closer to Heropolis and Laodicea. Uh, and I don't know if any of you grew up in a, in a town that used to be bigger and it became smaller because the road shifted around it. But that's literally what happened. And Colossae just started to die because nobody went through Colossae anymore. Um, so it was, it, was on, it was a city in decline. That's your next blank. It was a city that was most definitely in decline. But there's one other piece of information I want you to know about Colossae. And that was somewhere between two and five years, maybe, maybe, maybe as late as seven years after Paul wrote this letter, an earthquake hit this area. And it leveled Colossae. And that was it. And there's not like a really awesome story afterward that says, yeah, and they rebuilt it. No, they just left. And, and on the rubble, on the ruins, another city was built. But Colossae didn't exist anymore. It was just done. So, so in my mind, I'm trying to wrap my head around why in the world would Paul write a letter to a city that was in decline and the Holy Spirit knowing that this city is only going to be around for a little bit longer. So I want you to soak on that. And we'll talk about it when we get to the end of the lesson. But I want you to think about that as we kind of go through uh, the lesson today. So uh, the question is, when was Colossians written? Uh, significant consensus exists that Paul wrote Colossians while he was in prison at Rome. Now, when he was at prison at Rome... Uh, he had some freedom at this, during this period, and sometimes he was chained, and sometimes he was under house arrest and those type of things. Uh, but he actually wrote four different uh, letters while he was there. Does anybody know which four he wrote? Albert, you better get one of them right. Philemon, Philemon yes. He, got, he wrote Philemon. He wrote Colossians. He wrote Philippians. And anybody know? Ephesians, Ephesians yes. Those are the four letters known as the what? The prison epistles, because he wrote them while he was in prison. Wow, something that's actually named appropriately in, in theology, right? This is wonderful. Uh, even easy to pronounce. Uh, I completely forgot to bring my J. Vernon McGee commentary, because I was going to read you an extended uh, excerpt from this, but I walked out of the house without it. So um, those of you listening on the podcast, the reason the sound sounds different right now over the next couple of minutes than it does uh, about three minutes from now is that I'm recording this from home. The year was about A.D. 62. Four messengers left Rome unobserved, but they each carried a very valuable document. Tychicus was carrying the epistle to the Ephesians over to Ephesus, where he was pastor or leader of that church. 
Epaphroditus was carrying the epistle to the Philippians as he was pastor in Philippi. Epaphras was carrying the epistle to the Colossians. Apparently he was the leader of the church in Colossae. Onesimus was carrying the epistle to Philemon. Philemon was his master, and Onesimus, who had run away, was returning to him. These four are companion epistles, and together have been called the anatomy of Christianity, or the anatomy of the church. And we can see that the subjects of these epistles cover all aspects of the Christian faith. Ephesians is about the body of believers called the church, of which Christ is the head. Colossians directs our attention to the head of the body, who is Christ. The body itself is secondary. Christ is the theme. He is the center of the circle around which all Christian living resolves, revolves. Colossians emphasizes the pleroma. Christ is the fullness of God. Philippians shows the church walking here on earth. Christian living is the theme. It is the periphery of the circle of which Christ is the center. Philippians emphasizes the kenosis, Christ becoming a servant. And Philemon gives us Christianity in action. We would say it is where the rubber meets the road, or in that day it was where the sandals touched the Roman road. It demonstrates Christianity worked out in a pagan society. And we can see why these four documents have been called the anatomy of the church. They belong together to make a whole. All right, so if you look at uh, the next page on the teacher handout, it's got this big grid. Uh, I made this several years ago, and it was very helpful for me just to kind of keep in mind, you know, you got the Old Testament on one side, you got the New Testament on the other, uh, you've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you got the History, the Acts of the Apostles, and then you come to this big, long section called the Pauline Epistles, and they were written by Paul. Yeah, really tough stuff here. Uh, does anybody know why they're ordered that way? Anybody know why we put them in that order? Is it chronological? It'd be nice if it was. It's actually not. It's all mixed up. It's completely, completely mixed up. Does anybody know? What's the longest book of those? Romans. What's the, what's the next one? First and second Corinthians. What's the next one? Galatians. And the next one? Yeah, they're literally just in order. Because... There was a belief, and still is a belief, in a lot of Eastern spaces that the larger something, the more important it was. So they just put them in order. And so I have Philemon, which I think is one of the most truly awkwardly spectacular books in the whole little Bible, is, is the last. And it's not because it's least important, it's just it's the shortest. So. And then you get the general epistles, and they did the same thing with them. They put them in order of length, uh, and then they stuck Revelation at the end. So, so why was Colossians uh, written? Well, I think to set the Colossian, and really, did, did you catch in, in chapter 4 when I talked about uh, read the epistle to the Laodiceans? Did you catch the read the letter to the Laodiceans? Can you turn to first Laodicea in your Bible? You can't? Why? Because they ain't one. Yeah. Paul wrote a lot of letters. There, there's actually pretty good justification inside Colossians that implies that he wrote a letter to Colossians before the one that we actually have. That if we really numbered it properly, it would probably be like second Colossians, or maybe even third, but probably at least second Colossians. Um, but not all of the letters that were written were canonical. So that's our big, hairy theology word. They weren't all inspired by the Holy Spirit. They weren't all part of the canon of Scripture. That's for another lesson. So to set the Colossian churches straight on the idea that Jesus is better than anything and everything they could mix in with it. Um, I don't know if you picked up on what their problem was as we kind of read through, but their problem was hard to define. Every single commentary that I read, they list like five different things that it sort of was. And, and what they describe is a buffet. You've been to a buffet, right? 
with the sneeze guard and everything, and you pick what you want, and you just pray that the guy in front of you didn't sneeze, and if he did, that he turned the, you know, not a, not a, not a real big fan. Uh, if you invite me to Ryan's, I will say no, okay? Just, just can't, I just can't do it. Just can't do it. Sorry. Um, they have, I know they have a sneeze guard, and, and think about why they need a sneeze guard. It's like, no, okay. Uh, but it, it feels like what, and, and this, is, this is my summary of 30 commentaries, it feels like the Colossians would look at all these different theologies and philosophies and beliefs, and they'd go, I want a little of this, and I want a little of this, and I want a little of this. And what they ended up for, there's literally not a name for. There's not one word that describes the comprehensive set of their beliefs, because that was what... Sean believed, and, and Amy had a different set on her plate, and, and Crystal, had, she had a different plate, and, and everybody had a different set of these things that they picked, and it was like, well, how do you, how do you address every issue? I know. You talk about Jesus and how he's better than anything. That's cool, right? That's cool. Albert and I were discussing uh, a couple weeks ago uh, we have wonderful conversations whenever Julie and the kids go out of town because I go out to dinner with Albert every night. And we, and we talk about stuff. And we were at uh, Champies, right? I think it was. We were at Champies. And uh, I said, you know, one of the challenges that I, I feel like I really face every Sunday in Sunday school is that I have a pretty broad range of ages and backgrounds and theological training and experiences and professions and everything in my Sunday school class. And I said, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, and we were talking through about, you know, how do you, how do you always teach something that is relevant and applicable and impactful? You know, how do you, how do, you do that every single week? You know how you do that every single week? You, you teach Jesus. <laughs> and you, you keep my nose in the book. Like, if I keep my nose in the book, it will always be applicable and relevant and right on target. Cool. Yay, that's awesome. I'm glad there's an answer because otherwise I'd go crazy trying to figure out how to keep Gracie engaged at the same time as Mitch. Because Gracie, you and Mitch are just not anything alike. Okay? You're just not. Ah, height-wise. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, that's funny. Mitch, I promise I did not do that on purpose. If I'd have picked Albert, it would have been on purpose. But I didn't. That was not, that was not on purpose. All right, so I found this really cool, little, I found this cool quote by David uh, Guzik. He says, whatever the problem was precisely, Paul dwelt on the solution, a better understanding of Jesus. It's a better understanding of Jesus. I, I don't know what your issue is or your issues. I, I know what mine are. They're long and they change a lot. And sometimes they morph and they combine and they grow. But the better understanding of Jesus, knowing the real Jesus helps us stay away from the counterfeit no matter how it comes packaged. So let's look at a, a couple of verses in Colossians. Uh, so Colossians 1, verses 1 and 2. This is the greeting. So all, um, all early letters kind of started the same format. So you have usually the name of the person writing, and then some type of a greeting, and then usually there was a prayer, and then they kind of got to the point. So it was, a, it was a pretty standard format that they would go through. So Paul and Apostle. So what's, what's an Apostle. Because I see billboards that say, go hear apostle so-and-so preach. So what's an apostle? 
One who has seen the risen Christ. Great. And can do what about it? And can testify to it. So I have seen the risen Christ, and I can testify about it. The only people who are called apostles in the New Testament fit those two definitions. Now, the weird thing is that the New Testament never actually really defines what the apostle is. But if you look at all the experiences that are documented in the Scripture, those are the only two things that all the apostles have in common. They saw it, and they testified about it. That's it. So, if you know somebody who is visibly seen with their own two eyeballs, the risen Christ, and can testify about it, I say, cool, I'd like to go hear that apostle. But they ain't one. <laughs> right now, here with us. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, I love it. I knew somebody was going to do that, and I didn't know where it was going to come. So that was, <laughs> oh, did you? Awesome. Um, so one who has seen the risen Jesus and could testify to it. So Paul is an apostle. He's declaring his authority here of Jesus Christ by the will of God, because God picked him to do this, and Timothy, our what? Our brother. Now, I got to thinking about all the different people that Paul called brother in the New Testament. And it's a, it's a pretty healthy list. But there's one fellow that shows up as Paul's brother more than anybody else. You know who it is? It's Timothy. Yeah. Paul calls Timothy his brother more than, often than anybody else. He calls Quartus, which is an awesome name, right? You have like math just infused in there. In Romans, uh, Sosthenes. Just sounds like a smart guy, right? I mean, Sosthenes. What's your name, Sosthenes? I can't even spell it. Never mind. You know, it's amazing. Uh, Apollos. So this brilliant teacher, this orator. Uh, Epaphroditus. Uh, they all got, and Titus, all got mentioned once as brothers. Uh, Philemon actually gets mentioned twice as a brother of Paul. Onesimus, the slave that went back to Philemon, got, gets mentioned twice as a brother. Uh, Tychicus gets mentioned twice. But Timothy gets mentioned five times. Five times Paul calls him his brother. So if, if I think about who was Paul's... I mean, this is kind of a crazy concept, right? Who was Paul's BFF? <laughs> it, it feels like the guy you talk about more than anybody else, and it was Timothy. It's like, okay, so maybe there's a tree somewhere in the... No, no, there's not. There's not enough. Um, now, so here's, the, here's another interesting thing, because I, for a long time, have not concurred with the idea that... Um, if you looked on the little chart, where does Hebrews fall? Where does Hebrews fall? See where Hebrews falls? In the general epistles. Because we're not really sure. Guess how Timothy is identified in Hebrews? As a brother. Makes you go, hmm. There's another t-shirt for that. So, sorry. So Paul calls Timothy a brother more often than anybody else. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren. So what's a saint? What's a saint? It's somebody who's been redeemed, who's done a miracle that's been documented by the Catholic Church, who's been dead at least five years, right? Well, the, that's, that's how some folks define it. That's how the Catholics define it. You have to have had a documented miracle that's been substantiated by evidence, and you have to have been dead at least X number of years so that you know, we, we had time to dig up all the bad stuff about you, and it's not going to make us look bad, which is kind of the reason why you wait until somebody dies to name a bridge after them or a road or a school, because you can find stuff, and you just need to let all that stuff settle first. 
No, but the way the Bible uses the term saint is that you are a child of God. You are a believer. You are a Christian. That's it. So the saints is the, the relationship with God. And then it says the faithful brethren. And the faithful brethren is the relationship with the Christians. So it's got the vertical and it's got the horizontal. So the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Does anybody have a different way that your scripture translates that with the prepositions there? In Christ, you should, all, you should almost all have in Christ. If, if your translation doesn't say in Christ, it's a really good theological term that we need to make sure we get right. But that, that Colossae, what's the word right in front of Colossae? At, yes. In Christ, at Colossae. That's, a, that's probably a better way to translate it. J. Vernon McGee. Y'all know, you know J. Vernon McGee, right? He's, he's kind of like the redneck of all the commentators. I mean, he, just, he was just fantastic. He just called a spade a spade. It is what it is. This was his commentary on this. He said, uh, Notice that they are in Christ, but they are at Colossae, because the, more important qu- the, the most important question is not where are you at, but who are you in? It's like, that's really good. Because... I can be in Christ in Hickson. Okay. And Hickson should be different because I am here because I am in Christ. But Christ is not different because I am at Hickson. One impacts the other, one does not. So be in Christ wherever you are at. And then he ends verse 2 with grace to you and peace. So grace is the Greek greeting. Peace is the Hebrew greeting. So whether they were Jewish believers or Gentile believers, he's kind of including both here, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, what is the point of the first couple of verses in this backstory on Colossians? Well, Christ is above all. Christ above all. It, It feels like, Albert, I have heard this somewhere. Where have I heard this, Christ above all? It would be Brian College, yes. You go to their website and it's like Christ above all. It's kind of cool. So, so what do I do with that? Well, number one, live under Christ. Because way too often, and I say this through gritted teeth, I like to be above Christ. I want to put myself above the Scripture or in authority over everything else. And no, no, my spot is underneath. Uh, number two, Christ is better than all. Um, it, I think, I think that I can personally acknowledge that Christ is above all without really believing that he is better than all. Like I can say the words, Christ is above all, but I can live in a way that something else is better. And, and this is what scares me, because this is the conflict, this is the, the hypocrisy, uh, this is the two-faced uh, name. So if Christ is better than all, then I have down here praise him. And, and the reason I love the word praise is it's a, our English word praise comes from the French word, uh, it sounds like praise as well, but it means to value or to prize Uh, It it literally means like I have won a prize and it is my response to winning a prize. So so when you were a kid and you won a prize, how'd you feel? Yeah, awesome. Hands go up, face smiles. Usually something positive comes out of your mouth. Yay. What's that? Just like Jay. Yes. However Jay would respond. This is the, exactly. Um, So praise him because he is better than all. And then, so I, I told you to soak on the, why would we write a letter to Colossians? It's this little place that's on the way down that's literally about to get shook up and annihilated. It's not going to be around anymore. So, so here's what I came up with. And you guys would probably help me out with 
additional here, but small places with short futures have value to God. Because if I think about my life in the history of the world, <laughs> small with a short future, even if I live to be 120, imagine how crotchety I'll be at 120. <laughs> I'll be like, Jesus! <laughs> Somebody let me sit in. <laughs> um, I'll probably have to edit that out of the podcast. Yeah, uh, but my, my duration on this planet will be like not like not fair to the history of the history of this planet. Small duration, but value to God. So, so if God values small things with short durations, maybe maybe we should too. Maybe we should not look at the church down the street with thirty people and go, oh, they could they just ugh, whatever. No. No, 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 no. God values small things. Now, I am going to make an Albert joke right here. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> you, knew, you, you knew it was coming, right? I mean, you're just waiting for it. Okay, great. Uh, so this is Colossians. This is the introduction. Uh, I hope you are excited. I hope you are excited about being uh, amazed and enthused and watching Jesus be greater than everything for a few months because that's where we're going. So if you don't like Jesus, feel free not to show up next week. Just feel free. I'm taking names. But Jesus knows is all I'm saying about that. Jesus knows. So. All right, so that's Colossians uh, 1, 1 and 2. Next week we'll be in 1, 3 through 8. Um, so that is your homework there to read that. I would love to be emailed any questions or comments or feedback about either today's lesson or Colossians 1, 3 through 8. So please do. And uh, your weekly update is on the table. The prayer requests have not been updated on this piece of paper in a couple of weeks. I, I forgot to do this piece of paper this morning. So if you've got corrections to that, take a minute, look through, write down new ones, uh, pray as a table. We can leave the chairs and the tables where they are. There's something in this room uh, at the end of the service today. But uh, thanks for coming, and I hope you're excited about Jesus is better. And Jesus is above all, because I am. So thanks, guys. Thank <laughs> you.